0: Welcome to another episode of No Challenges Remaining, episode 62. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined for the 62nd time, give or take, by my dear friend Courtney Nguyen. Hi Courtney, happy off season once again.
1: Happy off season to you, Ben, and a happy post Thanksgiving. I realize we never kind of gave our Thanksgiving shout out to either each other or to our listeners.
0: So there it is for both of you. Have a happy, I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving, listeners, or if you're in another country, I hope you had a swell uh, November 28th or whatever the day <laughs> was that day.
1: A swell fourth Thursday of November.
0: Right how was your Thanksgiving, Courtney? and how was your off season in general i guess how how are you holding up?
1: Thanksgiving was exhausting. I had family coming over, it was like twenty people, and I cooked basically everything and so Ooh. it it was all fine and good and it pulled it off and it was good. but like I was incapacitated and lying in bed for the next two days out of sheer exhaustion
0: what What did you cook? I didn't I've never I don't think I've never had anything you cooked. Not that there would have been opportunities. <laughs>
1: yeah, I don't think that usually when we're staying in hostels and hotels, I'm like busting out, you know, anything that involves anything other than boiled water and something that comes out of a dry packet. Right. I did turkey and stuffing and salad and green beans and potatoes and appetizers and cranberry sauce and then I, I make drinks for everybody as well. I'll be honest, I think a lot of the reason why I do it is that it gets me out of conversations. (laughs) Like, I don't have to actually talk to people if I'm, like, running around doing something, which is kind of cowardly and, like, whatever, but I get... I don't know. I would rather stand in the corner and, uh, I don't know, stir a a pot of gravy than make small talk. It drives me nuts. So Make,
0: Make small talk with the gravy, essentially.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so it was good. I mean, it was great. But, like, yeah, for two days afterwards, I did not move. I just... Lay in bed and I don't know. I watched like both season of both seasons of Girls. I rewatched the first season of Good Wife. I just was like, if it was on TV, I watched it, which was actually really nice.
0: That is nice. That's a good thing to do. Yeah. We're we'll talking more about TV and stuff later in the show, but we have a lot more to get to before that. Things like questions from our listeners about all sorts of wonderful things. We're gonna go over our ballots for the uh, WTA awards that just came out and also talk about what we w- would have voted. On the ATP side for those same questions um, and a bunch of questions we'll take a number and we will tell you exactly what you should buy everyone you know for Christmas because we have <laughs> thoughts I guess <laughs> right
1: we do we always have thoughts
0: we do we're, we're always happy to give you advice and tell you to take it and then be wash our hands of the consequences it's like my favorite thing yeah so let's do it.
1: But Ben, how is your off season going? Because I know that generally speaking, our off seasons and how we are as writers, like how we are as writers during the season affects how we are as writers during the off season. So how are you doing with all of this free time?
0: I think I'm pretty good on free time wise. I've been able to stay mostly in first gear writing wise, um, but a lot of planning for 2014 already. A lot of you know trying to book stuff for Brisbane and stuff and melbourne and what those are spoilers for the year i'll be in brisbane and melbourne you guys <laughs> but yeah so once i get that taken care of i should be able to have like the last couple weeks of december mid-december before i have to leave on like Jan- or on december like 27th or whatever it is for early brisbane this year i should be having a little time to relax that but for right now i still like i, I feel like i still have a couple balls that i'm juggling so it's really not much like i'm not writing a whole lot of articles during the offseason season. Um, just because we don't have that much space for tennis in December. It's not a super relevant sport when football and basketball and whatnot's all going on, hockey. So, yeah, so I'm in a little bit of a holding pattern, but just recharging my batteries and reloading my barrels for, for the future.
1: Can you comp- Are you able to completely unplug? And then second follow-up question, do you actually unplug?
0: Like, literally no. I mean, I still check Twitter, you know, every few hours at least. I'm not asleep uh, so if there is breaking news or something happens like you know a Sharapova hires Hogstedt or whatever else happens I'll, I'll know about it within a while I'm not going to be like minute by minute on top of things well but if yeah, you're I, just I,
1: finding out that Sharapova hired Hogstedt, then I think that you should probably check Twitter a little bit
0: more know, often I knew that happened I knew <laughs> that happened but I was you know giving an example of something that I probably found out about a couple hours after it happened and it's fine because that's not something that's going to require an immediate article written by me or anything. That's not that big a news item for the kind of things I do. So...
1: But you realize that she hired Gronefeld, right?
0: Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ha, ha, I get it. There I'm was stupid. my joke. It's just some guy with, like, you know, a name. A European dude. Yeah, I should know better. You should. I really should. This was an unimpressive start. <laughs> So let's talk about coaching hires that actually happened over this offseason, as opposed <laughs> to ones that happened because I'm not paying a whole lot of attention to what I'm saying right now. Maria Sharapova hired Sven Gronfeld. Other ones that happened include Miles McLaughlin going to work with Sam Stoser. Well, Caroline
1: Wozniacki hiring Thomas Ogstead, obviously. Okay. Anna Ivanovic has decided to keep her current team, which isn't a brand name team, but it seems to be a team that she enjoys working with.
0: A team of servants, right?
1: A team of Serbian's effectively, yeah, and then obviously you have on the men's side you have you have Gasquet and Bruguera right teaming up,
0: which takes effect in February, I believe for Gasquet. Is that right? I think so. Yeah, I think he is sticking with his current coach, I guess Grosjean, through January, and then Bruguera kicks in in February.
1: Gotcha. There you go. So yeah, I mean, there's just kind of been a lot of different coaching moves. I mean, has Tomek announced his new coach yet?
0: No. I don't think
1: so. For all the talk of like there's going to be a replacement for John, unless his the replacement. Has two really big boobs and can be found hanging out in Sin City in Brisbane or in the Gold Coast. Uh, I don't think uh, Bernie's been scouting too many coaches these, uh, as of late.
0: I like how, I like how you put two as a, as a requirement for that. Just one big boob won't cut it. Three would also not work.
1: Wouldn't that be kind of weird? No offense to too. anybody who has. Never mind. This is going to go horribly wrong for me the way that I'm going to cover for my joke. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean symmetry, people seem to like it.
0: Symmetry okay. is attractive. I'll give symmetry you that. Symmetry is
1: attractive. It's it's in nature. Yeah. It's just math. So yeah, no, there's just been a lot of a lot of moves. But have any of the moves really been like breaking news like this is going to absolutely blow your minds you
0: guys? I can I categorically know. say absolutely not to that. I mean, which has
1: been the most impressive for you then?
0: most impressive?
1: Or I don't know, the most notable?
0: I think the one that I like the most, and we got a question, a bunch of questions about coaching this week, including one from Tyler Green to tee it up, which says which offseason coaching hire, ATP or WTA, result in the most positive results? And the one I think I like is Doser hiring Kyrie McLaughlin because I think that he has a level of relaxness to him, which hopefully will serve her well over the first month of the season as she's in her home country. <laughs> Turning coal into diamonds with her tenseness, I do think that she really could use someone who's a little, not that her previous coaches were, you know, uptight or anything, but I think hopefully he'll mellow her out a little bit, which I think she needs and needs to have a bit more free swinginess to her game a lot of times. And so that's the one that jumps out at me. But no, I don't think there's any real big ticket hire of the likes of the one that happened a couple years ago with Murray hiring Lendl that really seemed like a game changer. Nothing, nothing rose that well for me this year, I don't think.
1: That's fair. I like the Wozniacki-Hogshed pairing. I think that's been a long time coming. And, and you know, the problem is that there's so many, like, other factors that go into whether or not that pairing is going to actually work namely is Peter Wasiacki going to give them the space and the room to actually work and not just with Peter because sometimes we I think sometimes he's painted as being like this really controlling presence but also Caroline that she has to kind of not use you know her dad as a coach uh, as a crutch as a coach and be willing to to kind of open herself up and risk maybe some early losses and and risk you know taking the plunge and making the technical changes that she needs to make in her game that hopefully hogstead will be able to
0: convince her to do she's always so. been a little bit halfway in this
1: Mormon yes era. Yeah. yes i mean i think that that a lot of times like when we talk about peter we kind of there is this sense that he's like this you know like some sort of a, a negative controlling i want to control my daughter thing And i really don't think that's the case i think it's totally 50 50 that peter wants to to be there for his daughter and that caroline also wants her dad like she doesn't you know that it's it's not you know other coaches weren't brought in and it didn't work because Peter put the axe down or something and a lot of times Caroline just didn't want it and she wanted to go back to her dad so it'll take a, it'll be a weird kind of situation but I like I like that it'll just be it'll be I mean it's the first time that she'll have a legit outside coach And I don't think that she can tumble much farther. I mean, even at her kind of most mediocre, she's still a top 10 player. So
0: just ranking wise, she has the Indian Wells final coming up relatively early in the season, which is a big cache of points there. And I think she did okay. If I remember correctly, in the Middle East in February too, last year. Mm -hmm. So there could be some stuff coming off there. But otherwise, yeah, I totally agree that she needs to be ready to just retool and to listen and Peter needs to maybe not come to Australia, you know, make it. just put That some, would be interesting. Put some physical distance there. If he's still in the box, you know, I don't see what the distance is there. I, I think make it physical. Do it the way that, you know, Yuri Sharapov did, where it doesn't have to be quite that extreme, where he was never seen again, essentially. <laughs> but he stopped traveling with her very abruptly. Yeah. And you got to be willing to make the steps to make it a visible, tangible exit.
1: Yeah. And she's at about that age where other players who have traveled with, you know, almost exclusively with their parents, whether in a coaching uh, situation or just as a kind of companion situation, uh, right around that age, like 23, you know, 24, when that kind of stopped happening. Yeah, you know like parents you know like Anna Ivanovich used to always have her mom around and right around the time yeah but she she was like you know yeah like 24 25 like her mom stopped showing up and even you know Yankovic and and that happened way later but yeah. <laughs> with her mother so it, it happens quite a bit and it's, although there are uh, some time.
0: players who doesn't happen forever I mean Serena still travels with her parents and they have yeah. some coaching roles still and Venus too obviously and although she has done more tournaments without one of them i think than maybe Serena has
1: Yeah i don't know i mean i i I never got really the sense that i don't know i put those in two different categories because i think that sometimes especially when i think of like the Ivanovic situation or even Yuri Sharapov or a few other top players where their their parents traveled with them that a lot of that was like a pro- a protection issue especially on the WTA side which we've discussed
0: i think it's i think it's a big thing for like Ivanovic's mom kind of thing it's a little bit of a
1: like a peace of mind to know that she's there, and peace
0: also mind a little, yeah, a little bit of a manager role, but also like a shoulder to lean on and
1: uh, yeah, stuff like that. For sure, for sure. But yeah, no. So and and I never really got the sense that that was necessarily why Orsine or Richard were traveling with like Venus and Serena. That was like I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know. I never got that sense. I thought it was more just like pure. It's like pure support now, like in the way that like I would want my parents to be at a big match that I played. Because I love them and I want them to be there and I want their support as opposed to, like, I need them there or they're there despite the fact that I would really prefer them not to be there or whatever.
0: Yeah. No, I think those things definitely evolve for sure. Yeah. Any other hires that jump out at you as being bad or any you don't have faith in? The opposite of that question, I guess.
1: I'm still really confused as to the whole situation between Jeannie Bouchard and Laura Robson and Nick Saviano. I'm just, like, really confused as to what exactly is going on there. Like, yeah,
0: interesting. They because... both left their coaches for the same guy.
1: Yeah, they both left their coaches for the same guy, and it just seems as though there may be some confusion as to what exactly, like, who is coaching whom, because I just, I, I don't know. Like, I don't think that, that you know, Jeannie's Genie, camp is the one that made the formal announcement that Saviano was the coach, and then a week or two later, like, Robson's camp, you know, Robson, the reports were out that, like, he was going to be co- her coaching consultant, but there's no way that he's coaching both of them simultaneously. There's
0: no way. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I agree with that. I'm generally not a, a fan of shared coaches, especially not for two players who I to have pretty big goals for 2014. If you're doing, if you're somebody okay. and the money to get their own coach, both of them too. Mm-hmm. The results they have and the endorsements they both have. If you're somebody who's in the eighties and you know, you're, I don't know, solar Espinosa and Muguruza <laughs> and you want to share a coach and you're playing a similar schedule, you know, why not Sure but otherwise I think it's better to have someone totally in your ear I th- yeah. it, it'll be interesting to see how it works out
1: yeah yeah I mean I think it you know wh- wherever their their first tournaments are I think you know that'll be that should be like the first questions that got, that go to them really is just getting clarification as to what exactly the coaching situations are there I think that I mean and we've seen the shared coaching thing like Sloan and David Nankin and Sam Query, which was weird but what about kind of the under the radar thing of Sloan working with Paul Anacone in LA I
0: think that's interesting.
1: Yeah, it's really, really interesting.
0: That's one that I'm definitely intrigued about that I don't think got a whole lot of attention.
1: It's not clear clear how
0: long it'll last. Raids is being very temporary. Right. But who knows? She's definitely someone who I think could benefit a lot from having... Who's very close to making a breakthrough, I think, in terms of being the complete, reliable top player that we all think she can. Yeah. And Annika would know a thing or two about how to do that.
1: He would. I just couldn't see him having the patience to coach women's tennis. I mean... (laughs) I don't mean that. I mean, I, I know that sounds horrible for me to say, but like, I mean, it's just two different games. You you, you don't go from coaching the men to the girls and the girls to the guys. Like, I mean, it, it's just, it's just a different mentality. Working with female athletes is a different, different can of, can of beans. It just is the way that you, you talk to, to women, the way that you ex- communicate to them is different than how you would handle guys. So it's just kind of, I don't know. I mean, I'm like, it's kind of a tough, weird situation, and, she, and she's also, if I recall correctly, significantly younger than anyone that he's coached
0: before. Yeah. So, I'm, you know, so. I'm betting so, yeah. Yeah,
1: but it's still, it's. I think that was the most intriguing pairing
0: of the of all of them. I would agree. Okay, so recently the WTA announced the winners of the WTA Player Awards for 2013. According, to you and I voted on these. So we thought we'd go over our picks and who actually won, if we agree with that or not, or whatever. It,
1: we should clarify we are not the only ones that voted on them. No no no, <laughs> so, no. They're voted by the media, so
0: these would just be the NCR awards if they were if they were yeah. ours. So oh, the WTA wants to give us the entire keys to the castle. I mean, please don't. No, just don't <laughs> do Okay, so the first award is player of the year. Mm-hmm. The nominees are Victoria Azarenka, Lena Agnieszka Radvanska, maria sharapova and serena williams courtney who got your vote for player of the year and why and it can just be like one word sure
1: i voted for serena williams because she was the player of the year
0: i, I voted for serena williams because duh i <laughs> want i want to know if she got it unanimously i have to assume she did i kind of wish they would say that if she did but i also don't know how many people vote i'm not actually sure yeah is there, sure. any case, is there any case you made for anybody else? I think absolutely not.
1: No one won more slams than her. No one won more titles than she did. She's number one. None of the other... Well, I mean, obviously, Azerbaijan could beat her twice, but she's number one. She put together one of the most ridiculous seasons ever. No. There re- I mean, there really isn't a case for anyone else. I mean, it's not even... Yeah.
0: Okay. No way. Next award I thought was actually a tricky one.
1: It Double was.
0: team of the year, which has six nominees, Ashley Barty and Casey Delacqua, Sarah Arani and Roberta Vinci, Andrea Lavachkova and Lucia Rodetchka, Su Wei and Pang Shui, Katerina Makarova and Elena Vesnina, and Nadia Petrova, Katerina Srobotnik. So, Courtney, who did you vote for for this one? And who well, was-
1: the team the team that I voted for didn't win. Ne- me neither. Okay, so uh I voted for Xian Peng. Okay. And no it's not just because they're Asian. Don't even try.
0: Are you sure? Sure?
1: I'm absolutely positive. I'm absolutely positive. Okay. No, they won the most titles as a team of any of the teams that were nominated. So they won five titles in t- 2013, including Wimbledon. So they also won a Slam. And they also won the WTA Champs. So those are all pretty major titles. And the other two, the other three that they won weren't tiny. They won Rome, Cincinnati, Guangzhou. So they won. Let's see, they won a title on all three surfaces, undefeated in the finals as well. But yeah, I mean, they were just, they were, I don't know, to me, they were the best, (laughs) they were the best team. I mean, the team that won was Ronnie Vinci, obviously the number one ranked team, but they really, the Italians did not have that great of a year. Yeah, they
0: had a very Um, underwhelming
1: year. It was very underwhelming. They won the Aussie Open, and then after that, it was pretty much, they really didn't do much else. You know, they, obviously their consistency and everything and, and the fact that they play together all the time, you know, helped them to retain the, the number one ranking. But I really thought that, that Shane Pong should have won it. Here's
0: a trivia question for you before I get to mine. What player, not team, but player won the most doubles titles in 2013?
1: Kristina Modenovic? That's correct. Yeah, I knew that one.
0: Yeah, so. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, won six. So I was just surprised that someone who won six titles didn't find a team to get nominated. But um
1: because do you know that she won her six titles with six different partners?
0: Or are they all six different? Wow. Yeah,
1: she didn't. She didn't. She was never. She was just kind of like a floater that got picked up. But she's like ridiculously good.
0: You think she could land somebody for longer with that? We'll see if that yeah. happens. In 2014. Yeah. um Fourteen. My vote on this actually went to Barty Delacqua because I get that's a, a
1: sentimental of, pick.
0: It is partially, but talking about the expectations at the beginning of the year. I mean, these are sure. both players who are like not anything in singles or doubles, and.
1: In just their second tournament together, they made the Aussie Open final, right?
0: Right. And then they did it and they backed it up. And they didn't get to play that much together at all because of Barty's age restrictions. She's still only 16 um, for most of the year. And so I was just very impressed with them. For them to make three Slam finals was huge to me. And if they'd won one of them, they would have been, I think, they probably would have won the award, I'm guessing.
1: They were, I mean, they were, it was brutal. I felt really bad that they didn't qualify for the, the champs. You know, I mean, you make three Slam finals, that's pretty impressive that's
0: rough. and they won i think they only played um before the u.s open they only played two i think other tournaments together i want to say like charleston and birmingham they won birmingham but yeah they, they were very impressive and uh i think they won yeah and they won sets in two of the three grand slam finals so mm-hmm. it's just it's i don't know i was very impressed with them so they're my pick just in what was not an impressive year by anybody there was absolutely no serena of the double Store this year so i think obviously pong and shea is a good one and i'm actually a little surprised I didn't win just cuz they want I think that it's just chance. WTA
1: doubles and I think people just re- voted for the number 1 team because nobody really pays attention and that's not to say that I pay attention to WTA doubles like team doubles like you know that much but you know just even just looking at the stats I mean Pong and she- Pong and Shay had the best season of anyone so yeah
0: fair the <clears> masses <throat> did not agree with us I know most improved player of the year which I thought had some really interesting nominees and a lot of nominees
1: and legitimate nominees yeah. Well, I mean, I would, I would say there's one that's not a legitimate nominee, but like,
0: okay, here are the nominees for most improved player of the year. Kirsten Flipkins, Simona Halep, Jamie Hampton, Yelena Yankovic, Allison Risk, Sloane Stevens, and Carlos Suarez Navarro. And I will say the illegit nominee in there, I think, is Yankovic. Yep. Are you most improved here your former number one? Yeah. Exactly. More of a comeback player, if any. It's comeback. You don't get to suck
1: and play below your level and then return to your level and be like i improved (laughs) that doesn't really work that way like i don't get a gold star if i'm like a c student and i like start failing tests and then i get back to making c's and they're like oh look at you yeah yeah so
0: no okay so courtney who did you vote for
1: i voted for simona halep me too. Yeah. And, and, but I mean, it was, it was a I le- I mean, I thought that it was a legitimate debate. People thought I was kidding when I said it was a legitimate debate, but I think that it was because I did a post on Beyond the Baseline and also there was a Twitter discussion between Matt Cronin at Tennis Reporters about, because it sounded like he voted for Sloan yeah, Stevens and kind of a discussion of, well, who did actually have the better season. And, you know, because I think, yeah, I mean, if we are going to say that if tennis is going to be a sport that revolves around the slams, like, can you really, you can't really discount Sloan's performance and stuff like that. But, I mean, i still absolutely stand by my vote for Halep. I mean, bottom line, she started the season ranked below Sloan and ended the season ranked above Sloan, so. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> you know. <laughs> and Sloan did win the head-to-head this year against them 2-0. Sloan made the second week of all four slams. But Halep, I think did climb further i mean you really could there was a lot of hype around sloan at the end of 2012 and even before that and Hallop not at all and so for who made the higher ascendancy who improved the most i think it is Hallep. and that's not to say that Hallep will, will be the better player when all is said and done or whatever but just on that pure improvement factor i give it to Hallep pretty easily actually i didn't have a whole lot of i mean i did think this was the t- closest award i think in terms of having two really good nominees and if sloan had won it would have been fine but also, I feel like Halep had continual improvement throughout the year, which I like. And Sloan kind of peaked early in Australia, <laughs> results-wise, um, in Brisbane and uh, Melbourne. So
1: Slams notwithstanding.
0: Right, but there was never – one slam was never really better than the last one. You know what I mean?
1: You, oh, you mean like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess. I think that's a weird thing to knock somebody for.
0: No, it's not like, but like a knock. But I'm just saying, Halep had a little bit more of a steady climb in terms of improvement across 2013.
1: Yeah, but it's kind of hard to cl- to climb from a semifinal to slam.
0: No, I know, but she also, <laughs> no, but she never she didn't entirely back that result up all the way. True. So
1: yeah, I mean, it's hard because with Sloane, it's not like because obviously her result in Australia was was if you want to be critical or cynical or whatever is based on what was a fairly easy draw. And then an injured Serena, right? I mean, that's anti Sloan camp. That's what everybody constantly says. Yeah. So I think, what was it? At the French, she lost to Maria, yep. right? And after, I
0: think a, after a fairly easy draw to get
1: there. Yeah, a fairly easy draw, and then she lost to Maria. At Wimbledon, she lost to Bartoli. Um, after a. I mean, not an easy draw because she pulled Hampton in the first round, but Hampton was tired. And then she had Pekovic in the second, which was a tough match. And then almost choked against Tchaikovska, actually.
0: Yeah, Tchaikovska really should have won that match, actually.
1: Yeah, but but I mean, but anyways, but Sloan lost to the eventual champion. I mean, she didn't really suffer any bad losses at the slams. No. Which is to her credit, because I can't really say that about many players.
0: <laughs> no, she, absolutely not. I mean, she lost to three eventual champions and one finalist in Sharapova and Paris, so... Right. slams can't knock at all She only beat the players who are in front of her in terms of her draw so you can't really knock her too hard for the draw right yeah so but yeah, yeah Hal- I mean, and Halep also had tough draws in slams yeah. well i mean Halep lost second round in australia i believe second or first round actually first to round Sloan, mm-hmm. and then lost to lena at wimbledon i know and then really
1: carla Suar- ben- suarez navarro at the french was a pretty tough draw too i mean right. she's no slouch on the clay
0: not at all. Another player, by the way, who I don't think should have been nominated for most improved because yeah, I was looking
1: there. at that. I was like, she only jumped 17 spots. I mean, <laughs> it's not she's like been,
0: and she's made slam quarters before and stuff. So weird. Set I don't know about that one. Most impressive newcomer of the year is the next award for WTA. The nominees were Ashley Barty, Eugenie Bouchard, Madison Keys, Monica Puig, and Elena Svitolina. Svitolina, Svitolina, Elena. Courtney, who got your vote for impressive newcomer?
1: I actually voted for Madison. Okay. She and Jeannie. I mean, Jeannie won and deservedly so. Highest ranked teenager. Get it. Totally understand the vote. But if you actually look at the numbers, they jumped the same number of ranking spots. So they both jumped 122 spots from the beginning of the season. It's just that...
0: That's impressively parallel.
1: Yeah. It's it's just that Madison was ranked 149 and Jeannie was ranked 144. So Jeannie jumped to 32 and Madison jumped to 37. So, I mean, in terms of actual progressing, like Madison did kind of as well as Jeannie. And I I just thought that Madison had bigger wins. I thought that she was more, you know, kind of consistent throughout the year. And also because she's younger, I kind of gave her the nod of being able to do that and be just 18 years old was, was pretty impressive. So, yeah, I uh, actually voted for Madison.
0: Okay. I voted for Ashley Barty, just, again, on, on the doubles front mostly. Are you sure being... you're,
1: just, you're not voting because you just love the cheers that go with Ashley Barty?
0: Oh, there are so many good cheers for Ashley Barty. I'm, I'm looking forward to them, hopefully... Her being more and more relevant and getting more and more cheers in big courts in Australia, but no. Now, I mean, she made three Grand Slam finals as a teenager. I mean, doubles is doubles, I get that, but it's not like she was being carried by some, like, all-time great, playing with Casey Delaqua who's a serviceable player, but never been quite that anywhere near three Grand Slams finals in one year before, and she was much younger. She also won a couple matches main draw at Slams, which is not that much worse than, well, not that far behind either of the other girls uh, who made a couple third rounds. Yeah, I just, I really was impressed by three slams in a year in her young age. That was it. And the other ones, not, I mean, neither of them had that convincing years to me. Neither Madison nor Genie. Neither of them won a title. Neither of them made the second week of a slam. I don't know. I thought that Ashley...
1: In doubles, was,
0: dude. I, I, in I, I, doubles. Why should I count against her, though? Didn't say singles player. It was singles no, players.
1: I know. I know.
0: I was a little surprised they put her in that category. But once she was there, I thought that she deserved it.
1: That's fair. Most impressive newcomer. That's fair, I guess. I don't know. Interesting. <laughs> interesting who, who, who voting i was
0: so in ash marty's pocket on these votes i
1: was so sure you were gonna go with lena svidalina <laughs>
0: <laughs> last award is one of the weirder ones to actually vote for and to make arguments for and against people i think mm-hmm. comeback player of the year player who missed significant time due to injury approximately three to six months and current season's results helped restore ranking and your nominees are elisa klebanova svetlana kuznetsova bethany matic sands Flavia Panetta and Andrea Pekovic. Courtney. Brutal. Brutal yeah. group. It's hard to pick against any of these people. Okay. I would knock out immediately Kuznetsova because Agreed. I don't think her comeback was overwhelming compared to her the sanitary stuff before for herself. I agree. But after that
1: after that it's really, really tough.
0: Yeah.
1: Really tough. I my vote ended up going to Flavia. Okay. So sorry, Klaibs. I know that like that was kind of like I don't know who votes against cancer.
0: <laughs> that's why the category is so rough because you're voting against cancer.
1: I'm voting against. I'm. I'm voting and I'm shrugging at cancer. That's what I'm doing by voting for, eh. for Flavia. Eh. Like I'm yeah.
0: like ugh yeah. whatever.
1: But part of that is because Clay Benoval won last year for comeback player of the year. So I kind of feel like I didn't really. If, yeah, this she won last year. So yeah, so I kind of felt like I don't think that you can really come back tw- two years in a row unless they're from two s- separate injuries or something. So yeah, so that's why I I kind of didn't really give the nod to to Alyssa and then with Flavia just I mean I think that most of us really felt throughout the season that this was going to be it for her that she should have retired with the wrist injury like why did she even bother coming back she was playing horribly and to then you know make that kind of miracle run to the semifinals you know her best career result at the u.s open was was pretty darn impressive so so i gave it to her but but to me it, it really came down between flavia and pekovich because i think that for pekovich to come back and bounce back from just another hard luck injury right at the beginning of the season to be able to to you know do what she was she did which is just work hard play consistently you know made a couple of
0: and shake off some early bad results there too exactly
1: exactly make a cup make a what was it two two finals i think in uh
0: Warrenburg
1: and, and Washington, yeah. So
0: you know that's that's pretty
1: good. So but at the end, I, I gave to Flavia because holy shit, Flavia Panetta, U.S. Open semifinalist. That is pretty amazing.
0: That was a really impressive tournament for her and one that I think people might have already forgotten about a little bit. And she
1: played well. It's not like she. I don't really feel like she vultured her way through it. Like she really played well. I mean, obviously she had a bit of an open soft draw, but she was the one that was softening it up.
0: She beat some seeds. I mean, she plowed her own way in that draw. She beat Vinci, yeah. Irani. Yeah. And also, she beat Halep, who, was a big, who I thought was almost a lock to make the semis at that point. Didn't she beat Georgie? No, well, no uh, Vinci beat Jersey.
1: Oh, Vinci beat Georgie. okay.
0: Yeah. One thing, I looked, last year's comeback was won not by Klaibanova, but by Shvedova. Oh, uh,
1: um, in that case, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so. In which case, I totally voted. Well, I'm pretty sure Klaibs was nominated, though.
0: She may well have been Oh, nominated.
1: maybe not if it was under this.
0: Didn't really improve her under,
1: ranking. Yeah, it didn't improve her ranking, so maybe not under this rubric. My bad.
0: But I understand what you're saying. If she made a little bunny comeback last year, wasn't all fresh this year. I voted for Klavonova and Klavonova won.
1: Yep, totally. You, the angels side with you, Ben.
0: But I will say that I think one of the, there's just a lot of good cases. I think if I had to vote for somebody else, though, I might have voted for Bethany for how big a spring she had. It didn't entirely sustain itself all the rest of the way. But I mean, her her Stuttgart one was one of the most impressive this year, I thought, of anybody.
1: Agreed. And then to make second round of the French.
0: The second week, yeah. Huge second week yeah
1: yeah no i mean i I, it was it was interesting i thought that the on the whole i thought that the nominations were pretty interesting and good ones across the board wta player of the year notwithstanding but that's not their fault i mean (laughs) but i mean it was interesting to kind of go through and look at everybody's year and see kind of how all the numbers kind of stacked up because yeah like until i started looking into it i didn't realize that like yeah like genie and madison jumped the same number of spots yeah so it was good
0: All right. So now we're going to go through and imagine that these were the award categories for the ATP and guess and say who we would have nominated for those. So let's start. We don't have nominees. We're just going totally writing candidates for all of these. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's start with the top player of the year. Courtney, who is your ATP player of the year?
1: Rafael Nadal.
0: I I will second that. It was the story. Same as Serena, pretty much. Very similar years for the most part. Till the end, I think Serena had a bigger finish by far, but kind of small potatoes. Grand scheme of things, 10 titles for Nadal, year-end number one. Big comeback. He will be playing both Australia and Miami next year. Well, he's com- plan
1: he's committed to Miami. We'll see if he plays it. So, I don't know, man.
0: I expect him to. I mean, it's, it's nice points for him. He's assuming not going
1: to skip Indian Wells.
0: No, but he can play both.
1: I just don't think that he will.
0: I think if he's going to skip something, he'll skip Barcelona. But
1: Yeah, that's not going to happen.
0: We'll see. I expect him to play. Doubles team of the year for the men. I think is also Brian Brian (laughs) would be Brian Brian won the first three slams of the year fell two matches short of a calendar slam most improved player of the year for the men who you got most
1: improved I am going to have to go with Mr. Wawrinka
0: that would be my pick too
1: I mean, I mean, mean, there are kind of other ones. I mean, you could go with like a like a Bautista Agu who like rose through the rankings based off of like a bunch of like very good work in the challenger circuit and and stuff like that. And and there's a few other kind of like names that did the kind of the same thing. So but in terms of a player who not just improved, but had genuine impact on how the season played out uh, to me, that's that's Wawrinka. Yeah, I mean, he true. went from being a player that I would laugh off, like, if, you know, one of the top players pulled him, I was like, well, there's a match you don't have to watch, to being a guy who, like, you kept tuning in to see if he could pull off the big win.
0: I think I vote for him, but now I'm looking at the rankings, and one of the names that's jumping out of me is Vashik Pospisil. Pospisil, mm-hmm. I mean, I think Vavrenka, gets it gets gets my vote because of the stratus of the rankings in which he made his move into the really relevant part at the top and qualifying for London. After always kind of being a little bit of an also ran, but I think Vashik would have been definitely a good pick as well. Because Vashik also made his impact at big tournaments. I wouldn't wouldn't vote for someone like a Bautista a Goot, or like a Carreño Busta mm-hmm. or or even like a Smicek who all made their big moves at the lower levels for the most part. I think yeah. you've got to give it to somebody who's doing it at the, at the high levels. So.
1: I agree with that. I mean, I think that you have to... And, let and, I mean, there has to be, yeah, the recognition that it's a hell of a lot harder to jump from 17 to 9 than it is to jump from 150 to 80. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's just... I mean, we're just talking about where you're getting those points and what two you're playing and stuff like that. So, yeah, there you go.
0: There you go, indeed. Uh, next category is Impressive Newcomer of the Year for ATP. Courtney, who are you thinking?
1: I'm trying to look at the. Are we using the same?
0: Yeah, the definition for that award is players who made top 100 debut or notable accomplishments during 2013 season and prior to that current year, had not played in more, more than five main draw tour events, I think, in a, in a single season. I don't want to check I mean, I don't.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not going to sit here and check everything, but, um, I mean, doesn't it have to kind of go to Yuri Vesely?
0: A little underwhelmed by Vesely, though, this year. I expected a little bit bigger things from him. It doesn't mean he doesn't get it, but I think he could have been better.
1: I mean, because it has to be a player who didn't play in more than five main draw events yeah. at the tour level. Oh, there was that other kid, the South American kid, who kept... Oh, um,
0: what's his name? The one who beat Federer, Delbonis.
1: No, 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 not him.
0: No? Okay. Um, I'll vote for Delbonis.
1: He's played more than five tour events in a year. In a a previous year? year? I don't think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. No, he, he like, played really well through the North American challenger circuit.
0: Oh, Uh, you're thinking of Facundo Arguello?
1: Yeah, that kid.
0: Okay. He was, like,
1: he was solid.
0: Okay. Somewhat impressive. Did he even play, like, five main draws this year that's a
1: fair question maybe not
0: <laughs> oh, i'm definitely picking del bonus, i'm all but certain wouldn't have done that in a previous year he finished here 55 last year let me check how many tor- main draws he played last year okay he played he played seven main draws last year but he only made it past the second round twice or past the Sometimes first round
1: it's not the rules just had to play
0: but i'm fudging the rules i still vote for Bonus. whatever i don't I even know who else would fit that description I mean, was Arguello? Arguello never even broke the top 100 this year. That's true.
1: No, that's what I'm saying. I'm pretty sure that it has to go to Vesley. It would have to be a player who's young. It could, I think Smicek might be eligible. Five tour events? Yeah, I
0: don't Smicek
1: think... didn't play five tour events. In
0: 2012? Yeah. yeah look, yeah, six. So Smicek played six last year. That's close. Weird phrasing for that award, I must say. Weirdly, weirdly arbitrary criteria.
1: No, but it's not arbitrary for WTA, but it might be arbitrary for ATP. I mean, like it's you know, I mean, the whole point of new com- newcomers, you're not, you're kind of not supposed to be awarding it to somebody who's twenty-five years old. You're supposed to be awarding no, no, it. No, no, no. I don't think, not.
0: yeah, I don't think Smirnov would ever be a nominee for that category because of his age. Yeah, I'm just, I also think it's a reflection of how much easier it is to make a quick splash in WTA than ATP. Where I mean, compare the profiles this year of Keys and Bouchard. <laughs> Yuri Vesely. And
1: it's not yeah, it's quite true. I mean, he went 0-7 this year, didn't
0: he? In Maindrog Vesely. Yeah. Yeah, very possibly. He he should be good. He's a big guy, also seeing him in person at uh, Wimbledon qualifying, where he mm-hmm. lost to Dustin Brown. It was a pretty good match. He's like he's a he's a big boy.
1: Yeah, but he's a boy. Yeah, well, he's- I mean that—that—that's the bottom line. I mean that's the whole point of why there aren't teenagers succeeding. This game will not allow you to do it until you get physically fit enough.
0: And just—and there's a lot of just mental stuff that goes. I, mean, I don't know. I think his problems, from what I saw from him, were more playing even keeledly on big points and stuff. But we'll see. But his- again,
1: so much of that has to do with fitness.
0: You know who would be a good nominee for this? Actually, even though he didn't break top hundred, would be uh, Nick Kyrgios. Yeah, would-
1: he would be. He'd be a good. He would. He was. He was solid. He was very impressive.
0: I'll get my writing candidate for that. There you go. And then uh, comeback player of the year for ATP?
1: I go Tommy Robredo.
0: That's a good pick. I'd probably have to go to that too. Yeah. Actually fairly slam dunk I think for Robredo.
1: Yeah, I can't think of anybody else who had like major... I mean, because Haas, Haas already made his good run. Haas was like comeback maybe last year.
0: Yeah, Haas uh, won or got was definitely I remember last year the big debate was between Haas and Baker for comeback. Yeah,
1: there you go.
0: I think we had this debate last on the show last year if you want anyone wants to look it up. I think... Baker was almost, arguably, more of a newcomer last year because he was really hadn't made that big of a splash before, and then came back to levels far beyond what he did the first time around.
1: Brian so, yeah. Baker should have won all the awards last year. That's just what I think.
0: That's a pretty fair bet. <laughs> pretty fair bet. One of the first questions we got for this week's show is from Renaissance, who asks us, "What is likelier in 2014: was Maria Sharapova winning a fifth Grand Slam or Roger Federer winning his 18th?" Title. Courtney what do you think interesting one
1: it's an interesting one it's not as easy as like the knee-jerk at least my knee-jerk answer my knee-jerk answer is like well Sharapova obviously but so long as that like you know that Serena Williams is in the way <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: that you know may not happen and especially nowadays that when we have to basically come to terms with the idea that Sharapova isn't that great on grass anymore just because she won her first slam there doesn't mean that she's like great on grass
0: results haven't been that way. She did make the final in 2011 against Kvitova, but other than that...
1: Yeah, it just... I don't know. I think her game... I don't know. It's evolved. It's
0: evolved to be a a slow court game, yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's okay. So yeah, so so my knee-jerk reaction would be to say Sharapova, but then when I think about it, more. I mean, you know, given the the players in front of her and, and kind of her injury issues um, with her shoulder, it's also an issue. It's tough to back her chances. But at the same time, like, I would probably be more inclined to back her chances than I am of the idea of, of Roger Federer winning seven matches in two weeks.
0: I mean, basically, I think the WTA rankings right now are pretty accurate. And Sharapova is at number four, I believe. Mm-hmm. and. From what we can tell, there's big injury question marks with her. But for all we know, she's definitely playing Australia at this point. But um, beyond that, we don't know exactly how well she's going to hold up all year. No reason to think that it will be terrible, but who knows. She really is legitimately the fourth most likely person to win a slam next year. I think for Federer, it's probably close. I think Federer, is there anybody outside of the other guys in the big four you think is more likely than Federer to win a slam in twenty?
1: Outside of, are you talking about the actual Big Four or like the... No, the
0: Big Four, the Big Four, not Ferrer. No, no, no. Not the top four, the Big Four. So Murray, Djokovic, no. Oh,
1: no. Yeah, I mean, I'd put Del Potro ahead of Federer.
0: Okay.
1: In terms of if I, if I had to handicap a guy who who could win it. I might even, depending on things, I might back even a Sangha
0: okay. ahead of Federer. Burditch?
1: No, I just... I don't know. I just... I just I I really was a bit disappointed with Thomas Burdick's year this season. I really yeah. thought it was kind of a, a stall. So I don't know what next season will bring. But even you look at outside of that, you look at like a, a Janowitz at Wimbledon. Could. Maybe. Why not? He, he made the semis.
0: But his draw was weak as hell last year when he made the semis.
1: It was. It was. But... He still has the game to do it. I just, I just don't know that Federer. I mean, there wasn't a point this season that Federer, except for maybe the Australian Open, where Federer showed kind of game in game out consistency over the course of, of a tournament.
0: Right. No, I would agree with that. I don't. I think Sharapova for me is more likely because there's only one player I think she can't beat when both are playing well, and that's Serena. Federer comes up against Peak, Djokovic, Nadal, or Murray. I don't think he can win. Yeah. The of five right now. I mean, just so many up and down performances this year. And the men are so much more reliable. Sharapova only needs a Rosano or Lisicki to help her win another slam. <laughs> that's doable. Federer needs more than that, so I would pick Sharapova as the most likely. Which, I
1: don't know which, which, which?
0: Yeah, which I was gonna say which gonna say. slam? <laughs> yeah. I would actually say Australia.
1: Even with the injury woes.
0: Yeah. In the she's come, back, she's come back well there in past years with a lot of rust and without much match play, like uh, two years ago. Yeah, it's true. The finals there, so and lost and got killed by Vika.
1: That was embarrassing. That was an embarrassing performance <laughs> for
0: her. Yeah, I think that's my pick. I don't... Federer would have to win Wimbledon. I think he would win the US Open, too, if it gets fa- fast conditions next year. But the other two, categorically, no chance. Whereas Sharapova's theoretically in the conversation for all four.
1: See, I kind of think that like, Federer would have... His best chance would be the Aussie. Oh, yeah? Even more so than Wimbledon, just because it's the beginning of the season. He'll be fit, he'll be healthy, it'll be as refreshed as he'll ever be. Sure throughout the season yeah i mean i you know i mean that was where his best results came last year or this year sorry in the semis and losing to murray in five even though he really should have lost to murray in three but
0: one of the most lopsided five setters ever
1: i know right like the whole time i was just like i mean i still thought it was like an important match and everything because obviously it was it was andy's first win over roger but um at a Slam. Play, yeah. but man is that score line incredibly deceptive
0: yeah no completely agree. i think murray won something I w- i'm gonna make this up and it's probably wrong but Murray won something like 17 more points in the match or something big.
1: Yeah, the margin... more points big. or something. Yeah, he just, it's just that Roger was able to steal, I think, two sets uh, via tiebreakers. Yeah. And then Murray eventually ran away with it at the end. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's... I, I don't know. I kind of feel like Ozzy is, is kind of where it all begins for him and uh, possibly ends I,
0: in I terms of his that. season. I don't disagree with that. I think that one interesting... Idea for me for Roger in 2014 is that he'll go a little bit old school and skip the French and just say, that's not happening. Let's wrestle for Wimbledon. And poke he really anything. should. It would be smart. He's not young. thing people used to do all the time when the game was l- way less taxing than it is now. I think getting drubbed by Sanga in the fourth round of the French last year or and
1: almost losing to Simone.
0: In the quarters of the French, yeah. And then almost losing to Simone didn't set him up very well for Wimbledon at all. So, yeah, I think he should skip the French. He can play, like, uh, Rome or Rome or something if he wants, and Monte Carlo, but, uh, yeah, don't play the French. No,
1: he should. I mean, there's something to be said about that, is that play through the clay season, just skip the French. Yeah. So play Monte Carlo, play Rome, play Madrid, get points, and then go chill
0: out. (laughs) We got another question about Federer, which is sort of interesting, from Robert S. aka Robert1993. Who asks us? Has Roger heard his legacy at all this year, or do his setbacks, given his age, not affect it? Like worsening his head-to-heads, for example. So Courtney, I think people people talk about this a lot when it comes to athletes who are aging or in decline or whatever you want to call it. About hurting legacy and stuff and people talked about it yeah so i'll just open that up to you Courtney. what do you think has roger hurt his legacy at all this year
1: no i don't think so and i say that just based off of the conversations that i've had with with kind of other writers
0: about roger um Mm -hmm. throughout
1: the course of the year and i think that the general kind of consensus whenever people start kind of debating the numbers and start debating you know head to heads and i think i brought this up during the World Tour Finals, like, does it matter if Roger finishes his career with losing records to Djokovic, Nadal, and Murray? Because that's probably going to happen.
0: Yeah, very well could.
1: Yeah, because he's already got losing records to Nadal and Murray. And he is only, I think, one off. He only he only leads by a game, a one match over Djokovic. So... Yeah, I mean, it's possible that that might happen. Is that an issue? I mean, we're talking about the greatest player ever. and But, you know, whenever I float that question in the press room, everybody's like, dude, but you have to look at, like, when those losses came. And if it was, you know, if he's not at his peak, but Roth is at his peak, does it really count? You know, so I think that there's a lot more sophistication that goes into kind of cutting through the numbers than maybe people give, I don't know, a pundit's credit for you know I mean obviously those little things are just easy to hold up right I mean his losing record to Nadal is just an easy one to cite and it's the one that everybody points to as being how can you be the greatest ever if you're constantly losing to one guy but I don't think that it hurts his legacy if anything it just kind of solidifies Roger Federer as and what he meant to the sport and how he approached his career which was kind of really no nonsense and he just put his head down and kind of did his, did his thing and didn't bitch and moan about it and I don't know I, I don't think so
0: I don't think so at all. I, I would compare it a little bit and this is way more ridiculous comparison, but when people talk about Michael Jordan now, they very rarely went mentioned when he was a Washington wizard.
1: Yeah, like, it's like Joe Montana. Nobody really cares that he went to Kansas City and right. like you know, like, oh yeah, that's right. He wore number nineteen with Kansas City. Yeah, don't really remember because he was number sixteen with the Niners and he was amazing.
0: No, you remember their peaks and yeah. the the stats on the head to head thing especially for, Fed- for the Federer-Nadal thing. I mean, so much of that head-to-head is skewed by it being, I think, 13-2 right now for Nadal on clay. And so often, early in Nadal's career, he was just not getting to hard-court finals where mm-hmm. Federer was winning. He was losing early, consistently in New York. Didn't make a New York final until 2010. Never played Roger. Hadn't played Roger for a long time in the United States at one point, which is probably where Roger's conditions were best for him. Yeah, I mean, I think those things can be a little bit excused away. And basically, if we say that Roger might not win a Grand Slam again, let's say, and stays at 17, what he does while he's staying at 17, sort of stalled there, I just don't think it matters. If that's the main biggest number on the scoreboard people look to in, in the GOAT debate now, which I think is debatable, how much weight should be given first and foremost and solely to slam count. And that's uh, maybe not always the one pure metric at seen as especially when debating previous eras yeah I, I do think that there's uh ways for him to get out of it and yeah he's playing guys who are much younger than him also in these in these cases i mean his record against agassi for example federer is not representative of both of them at their complete peak same way that it's not going to be the same for federer versus murray federer well, six years older
1: i disagree with that though because i think that with the, with respect to both his head-to-heads with rafa and his head-to-heads with djokovic those head to heads have kind of basically widened as especially with Djokovic as Roger has quote, well okay declined okay yep. like Djokovic is going to catch up because father time is going to help him catch up because Roger's not the same player now as he was then but the the weirdest head to head to me is is Roger and Andy and because a, a lot of those wins came when like Andy was like was like when during Roger's peak when Andy was like 5 6 years younger than he is now beat him early beat him early and beat him often and confused him and perplexed him and got under his skin and that's where he had that like really skewed head to head but you couldn't point to in other words if andy murray if if fetter retires with a losing record to andy murray you're not going to be able to point to surface nope. skewage that rafa had you're not going to be able to point to the fact that oh but all their matches came when roger was old and slow which you could arguably kind of dissect his head to heck with Novak with Murray's is going to be the weird one, <laughs> you know, because it'll 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 widen, it'll continue to widen, but w- it will never have been. I mean, Murray will have basically always led it for the most part, which is weird.
0: Interesting one. I think it's almost more of a matchup issue than anything for Roger. Yeah, the I think so. The way that Murray played, especially early career Murray when Murray was beating him back, I want to say in Bangkok or no, yeah. not Bangkok. Uh, Bangkok, he beat him, but I think in Cincinnati really early on, like 06, he beat him and then a couple times in other Masters events and stuff. Murray just played a sort of uh, more of a junk volley style back then that was made Federer really uncomfortable. It's a matchup thing, because I don't think anyone would put Murray anywhere near Roger on the race all-time ladder discussion. But yeah, so that's my point to that. But other players have that as well, except for really, historically, what Nadal has in terms of not having anybody who has his number, really. Yeah. Except for against Davidenko a little bit, is uh, really incredible
1: that might be i mean if you look if you think of rafa and you think of his most um, impressive kind of stat you know that might be it
0: that's a big one that's a
1: big you no know, i mean t- i mean the guy beats everybody that is in front of him and yeah. doesn't have an achilles heel to anyone
0: whereas someone like a murray has like a losing record to birdage and weird stuff like that so right. but yeah no i don't think roger's tarnishing himself at all he will remember Within two years of him retiring, people will only remember Pete Roger again.
1: Yeah, it'll be hey, remember it's it was only X number of years ago that Roger won Wimbledon for his 17th and retook the number one ranking at like 30 years old. You know, like it, everybody remembers the good parts. I don't think that people really remember the last few years. You know, and and I think you're dead right when you when you bring up the comparison to Jordan and stuff like that. I think that's right.
0: Thank you for saying. I'm you're welcome. More often.
1: Every once in a while, you say you say <laughs> yeah. smart things. Well, you're bound something will something will stick.
0: Yeah. So now we are going to do our world famous, critically acclaimed take a number segment, where we pull a random number generator up and pick a random number between one and one hundred, and talk about the players in the ATP and WTA rankings who correspond to that number. Ready with the ladies, Courtney? Uh,
1: always. always. <laughs>
0: I'm ready with the men. Here we go. One to a hundred. Our number is doo Ninety-one. Like, what?
1: what the hell? Random number generator?
0: Not okay. Oh, God. Okay. I hope you have somebody good. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> we can respin if it's that bad. No, no,
1: no. It's fine. I think it's no, fine. Mean, we'll it's
0: do fun. this one, and then we'll see how we're feeling. Courtney, who is the lady at number 91?
1: I am not sure I've ever seen this lady play. But I am familiar with this lady because she's actually really active on Instagram.
0: Oh, of course. Um,
1: And so I see pictures of her and her boyfriend all the time (laughs) on my Instagram feed. Uh, But number 91 is the Israeli number two. Oh. Yulia Glushko. Okay. Yes. Who was born, I did not know, in the Ukraine. I
0: did not know that either.
1: Or sorry, in Ukraine.
0: Makes sense with her name, I guess, the co. Thing. yeah bondarenko etc number 91 on the men's side i believe recently made it to the finals of the challenger tour finals it is the number three colombian alejandro gonzalez <laughs> Yay. Yay. <laughs> let's start with alejandro because i'm just going to talk you through him his nickname is gonzo he speaks spanish english portuguese and italian he started playing tennis with his family Father, Alberto, is a business administrator. Mother, Margarita, is a nurse. One sister, Tatiana, is a dermatologist. <laughs> Hobbies include going to the cinema and reading books. Favorite service is clay and shot is backhand. Terminate rolling garrows. Idol. Oh, ooh. This is weird. Idol growing up was Raphael Nadal. He's 24 How old is he? Nadal is only four years older than him. Can he really be your idol growing up? I don't Can know. Can
1: you have an idol that's only two? Like, yeah, that's weird.
0: He's trying to make Nadal feel bad about himself. Um, yes. It's like someone, who, this girl who held up a sign at the year-end championships in Istanbul who said, Serena, I was named after you. And she wasn't that young. She looked like she was like 14 or something. I was like, oh, you're going to make her feel old. Don't do, don't do that. It's a bit weird. Favorite sporting personality is the aforementioned Michael Jordan, which <laughs> ATP parentheses helpfully puts basketball in parentheses next to you in case you didn't know who Michael Jordan was. Solid. Um, yeah, that's about it on uh, old Alejandro. He's 24, 6'3". Medellin, Colombia, made to the finals of the Challenger Tour Finals. He only played in one ATP main draw this year, and that was in his hometown of Bogota, or home tournament of Bogota. Cool. He lost to Adrian Manorino. His one set he won, though, and that match was a bagel. So, good for him. There you go. Yeah. There you go. But that shame of losing at home spurred him on to winning two, his next two events, so... He turned that lemon into lemonade. I'm done. I'm so done with him. Do you have anything? <laughs> Courtney, let's uh, move on to Julie Glushko, who I believe yeah. was within a point of making the second week of the U.S. Open.
1: This is correct. This is correct. Yes. It's kind of funny. If you scroll through her results, like a couple of or a few names come up quite a bit. There are players that she routinely beat multiple times over the course of the season. One of those players is Anastasia Rodionova. Oh. Who she beat a number of times this season, including 8-6 in the third in the final round of fr- qualifying at the French Open.
0: That must have been traumatical.
1: Yes. I would I would assume that she saw and heard things that no one should see or hear. I
0: bet, uh, she, at I bet she had a big crowd, too, because I think she's the more Taglu girl. Glushko. Oh, is that right? I think so. I think she's a more – She's not that stable. Yeah.
1: Possibly. Another name that seems to come up quite a bit is, is Chanel Simmons of South Africa. Mm. Those two played like four or five times this season, which is kind of amusing. Yeah, I think those were kind of the main names that kept coming up. But uh, but yes, her big run this year was at the U.S. Open, where she got through qualifying, again, beating Anastasia Rodianova in the final round. <laughs> <laughs> so she stopped Rodia, Rodianova from making the main draw of two slams this season. And then she beat Petrova.
0: Who I think was pretty injured there, yeah.
1: Uh, beat Vickery. That was the
0: one match I remember. That was like one of the most random second round matches of a slam ever was Vickery Glushko. I believe it. Match. Yeah, that was, that was pretty obscure.
1: Yep. And then in the third round played Daniela Hantakova. And Hantakova won 3-6-7-5-7-6-9-7 seven, seven, in the tiebreak.
0: And I'm pretty sure Glushko had at least three match points in that match.
1: I, yeah, I think that's right. So that's how Julia Glushko is ranked number 91 in the world.
0: She deserves it for making third round of the U.S. Open. That seems fair. Oh, for sure.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, these are, I mean, on the whole, these are more impressive results than her ATP counterpart.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Glushko is interesting. One thing we can talk about off Glushko, make to salvage this number 91, is she was one of the players who was on that website. It was essentially the Kickstarter for athletes.
1: Oh, right. Yeah.
0: Something fan. The one that, involved the one, fan.com, I want to say. Yeah.
1: The one that uh, Tornado yes. Black is on.
0: Yes. And, the other players on there include, like, Grega Gemlia, is mm-hmm. the most famous player on there. But Glushko's on there, too, and she's definitely the second most accomplished player on there anyway. Yeah, what, what do you make of the idea of, of players doing that as a concept?
1: I mean, it's Fine. I don't really
0: I can tell you they're not successful. They're yeah. Sales. Nobody gives them money.
1: No one gives them money because at the end of the day, what are you getting? Yeah,
0: it's not like Kickstarter where you get a product.
1: Right, exactly. I mean what what you need is basically a sponsor, right? I mean, you know, what Anna Ivanovich had, right? Like Dan Holtzman funds her give, basically gives her whatever, like two hundred thousand dollars or fifty thousand dollars to go to an academy and things like that. And then he basically owns a stake in her career and she pays him back and, you know, and he kind of gets a, a, a gain, a financial gain out of it all. But like a athlete-funded Kickstarter just seems really weird to me. Like, I guess, I mean, I guess what it is, is like you will, I mean, the athlete ha- the thing is that the athlete has to do stuff right so like the athlete has to i don't know like if i make the main draw i'll get you guys into the tickets or tickets I would mean, be a
0: good thing or like a guest pass or something It'd be easily abused but it's yeah a good, a good thing and but the, yeah the, i remember i can i'll just pull up her page now. some of the prizes that are uh, the incentives they give were things like you get 150 dollars, you get an autographed tennis ball Okay, you get an autographed tennis ball with Julia Glushko's autograph on it. That's something that doesn't have a super high market value. It would make more sense if Julia would ask Federer for an autograph next time she saw him at a slam. (laughs) You know, maybe use her access a little bit. Oh, she's actually the top listed athlete on this entire InvolvedFan.com page, Glushko. Eight people. Oh, she's doing okay. Glushko has gotten a combined eight donors. have given her a total of $561.00 which is not quite getting there to her goal of 30000 And she's the top one. <laughs> she's the top one, yeah.
1: That is brutal. For
0: $10 or more, you get involvedfan.com newsletter. For $50, you get an autographed thank you card from Julia, which seems okay, that's at least, like, sentimental. Um, for $100, you get an autographed tennis ball, autographed by Julia. For $1,000 or more, you get an autographed match use tennis racket <laughs> <For> <laughs> and it says, in parentheses only one available <laughs> <laughs> so if like it's ridiculous if she gets three people giving her a thousand dollars julia go out and buy another racket and give it to somebody for a thousand dollars that's Jeez. brutal but some of them were like for other players were like for, the, for 250 you get a skype session with this player like what are you going to talk to Julia Glushka about? I mean, i seen... Does she want to talk to people who are paying $250 to talk to her?
1: See, that's the thing. I mean, I think that actually, if because one of the more creative sort of things like that that I've seen is one of my favorite musicians who isn't famous at all in any way shape or form like kind of did not kickstarter but something similar for like a, a a studio album and was like if you give me if you donate 25 bucks like i'll knit you a hat like it was like random things like if you um give me like 75 bucks i would draw a tattoo for you like a t- tattoo template because she's like a bit of an, an artist and then yeah if you give me like 250 bucks like uh we have like a 30 minute or 1 hour Skype session like to just chat. Those things are like actually kind of interesting because it would be kind of fun, right? Like if Julia if you could get Julia Gushko on the line and like just ask her all everything she knows like all the gossip and stuff like that, it'd be actually pretty entertaining.
0: Yeah. I will say the most backed yeah. player is actually Tornado has earned $1600 on this site. Well, it's not bad. Which for somebody who made the US Open Junior finals is not huge either.
1: No. It's not huge. I mean it's 1600 bucks isn't gonna fly you to too many places
0: i remember that jan silva kid who made a splash when he was like six years old he's on here too he's made 25 bucks oh a lot of people have made zero hurricane black's made 875 she's ahead of glushko also
1: i just don't think that's feasible i just don't see you have to basically really think about it and like be willing to offer your time in a meaningful way to people yeah like, you can't, I mean, getting an autographed tennis ball from a player who's, like, a nobody is not really an incentive to give you, like, you know, a hundred bucks.
0: I think it's better if, like, they set up a little bit more like a Make-A-Wish kid where you get, like, like an email letter, like, updating them on their progress on the tour and what your money got them. Exactly. Like, Here here's money, the like, In-N-Out Burger. Nice <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or an like, In-N-Out Burger, Yeah.
1: Here's this bag of groceries that I bought at Whole Foods in Mason, Ohio to feed myself during Qualys. Thank you that you bought this for me.
0: That's I bought, worth it. I bought some anabolic steroids. They're really helping us out. You know <laughs> But I got caught sticking
1: them in. Whatever it is.
0: I'm now about but, raising money for my legal fees, you know. Yeah. Please help. Yeah. There's something it's it's not the worst model in the world because a lot of people want to live vicariously through athletes, but they need to set up that part of it better
1: well the problem is that athletes you have to do something for the money yeah like that's the thing about kickstarter is that uh, you, do, you don't just get that money for free like you know you offer some little incentive things you know like or like if or like you give away like
0: towels tournament towels
1: you get those anyway if you're like playing in qualies and
0: although most of the play most of the players on this site are way below slam qualies.
1: but like a julia klushko
0: Yeah, she can give you, you she can get you towels yeah
1: yeah She'd get you towels like it's like y'all get you like a match used Wimbledon towel and just steal a shitload of them just like Federer does. But like at least it's like something you know.
0: One of of the things that Tornado gives away is which has actually gotten two people paying her for is private giving lessons near Boca Raton. Yeah
1: that's That's, fair. that's,
0: That's usable.
1: That's totally usable.
0: Much better than a $200 autograph picture. Those number 91, I feel like we did our best with that. Number 91, Alejandro Gonzalez and Julia Glushko. Give her money if you want. Not sure what to get out of it.
1: But... If people want to, like, get Ben and I for Charismaka a present, please yeah. get us a new random number generator because our random number generator
0: blows. Or if you want to send us $200, I will send you a signed photo. <laughs> That's also an option. 500 for a signed ball. Hey. 1000 for a signed racket many available
1: many available
0: many i'll even use it i'll let like, go hit against the wall with it <laughs> and i'll send you a photo of me hitting against the wall with it and i'll send you a video of me saying your name while i hit against the wall with it this is like oh
1: i will record your voicemail message
0: <laughs> oh these are good things They're good items yeah so if you want to get in touch with us anyone who has money for <laughs> very simple tasks and involve fan method please let us know and uh We'll do our best to oblige. We are, we are cheap.
1: Doesn't take much. No. A sandwich, a burger, a burrito. Done.
0: Whoa. What would you? Do I do? mean, a
1: burrito. What it's would like you a, do for a burrito? <laughs>
0: like, what would you do for a Klondike bar, but for like a burrito?
1: Yeah.
0: I think Klondike bars are really not worth much. I'll be honest. Oh
1: God, that I remember the first time I had a Klondike bar. I was like, seriously, this? This is what those commercials are about?
0: It's hard to eat, right? It's yeah, like.
1: it's not tasty.
0: No, it's not I'd rather
1: have an It's It bar or just a, a days, regular rather... ice
0: cream sandwich you know what I like I like the um. first of all I really like chip witches obviously and secondly I like the we used to get, have them in high school the ice cream sandwiches that were the Neapolitan ones
1: oh yeah those solid. are good that's solid solid ice cream sandwiches are super underrated because you can buy like the totally cheap lame ones and like, they're good they're so good the generic ones tasty
0: okay I feel like we have something to suck our fridge with in Australia yes sandwiches
1: ice cream sandwiches Done. do they have ice cream sandwiches in Australia they better are they covered in Marmite or Vegemite or whatever
0: I hope not I I hope they're, maybe they're made out of Tim Tam
1: oh that, well then your dream come true maybe it's ice cream between two Tim Tams Ben what would you do
0: I'll just make that myself <laughs> give her the idea it's your good cool. plans. we are making okay. things happen here folks Unlike
1: brainstorming like a boss
0: yeah I feel like our ideas right now would be ranked much higher than number 91 just saying <laughs> So this is our first show of December, and as you guys know, Christmas is coming up in just a few weeks now. And, and
1: Hanukkah is in full swing.
0: Yeah, full so Hanukkah swing. going on. So if you guys were waiting for us to tell you what you should buy, people, you're in luck. Because we're going to do that <laughs> with some of our favorite things uh media type things tvs books music movies whatever from 2013 so tennis and non-tennis i guess if any tennis things fit in this category courtney so what would you what let's start with music okay what, like, you were seen as being like a super cool kid on music that's not true totally true, you cultivated true that. i used to have tuesday tunes and stuff
1: I know, but nobody like cared. It was just like me like keeping track of music I was listening to. They were more for me. Yeah, music. I don't know. I mean, it's been kind of a weird year in music. Obviously, I really love the new Arcade Fire album, Reflector, but I also know that I am in the minority on that, and that many people, including someone who's on this line, aren't really hip to the Reflector the way that I am.
0: But I that's found okay. it like, very chewy as an album, not easily swallowed.
1: That's fair. That's fair. I mean, I was telling Ben that and it was it made me sound like a complete and utter hipster asshole because I was like literally saying like, no, but you have to listen to it on vinyl. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> you kinda do. So if you want to get your But, but why vinyl? Hipster.
0: It made your your explanation of that was made sense.
1: It does. It, yeah. The way that um, the album is actually broken up is made perfectly for a vinyl album insofar as there's like only one or two songs per side. You actually have to get up and like flip the disc, obviously, and kind of the rhythm and tone tone of the record kind of changes as you actually make the manual flip and it really really works so if you have an unapologetically obnoxious hipster in your life feel free to go get them the vinyl version of arcade fire's reflector it's really good i like it i've
0: only listened to it in i guess mp3 on my ipod and kids these days it's just too long it's it just doesn't
1: long. yeah it doesn't feel long when it's on vinyl because again you're getting up and switching the the thing every like 15 minutes and so it kind of breaks it up so
0: i've listened to a bunch of different albums let's stick with music in the last uh month or so and i've had some surprising outcomes of them i wasn't expecting very much for the katy perry album i never liked her and it was indeed terrible and a complete waste of everyone's time <laughs> don't buy that just listen to roar 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 is fine. Roar is like good. Roar gets an eight out of ten. The rest doesn't break a three.
1: Is um, Roar the new? Is that the new like like women's power anthem now?
0: Is that <laughs> it, it? Is the new Suddenly I See? Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's the new Suddenly I See, right? Because I heard it all the time. Like when we're gonna sample it. Was like song that the WTA kept using.
0: Yeah, it's gonna yeah, be big. Okay. You're gonna hear it a lot in 2014. Get ready for it. Okay. Other things. Yeah, Arcade Fire wasn't crazy about. Lady Gaga album was terrible. Really terrible. When the best song on it, it's called Manicure. You know, you have problems. <laughs> but things I like, surprisingly, I think, for people who know my music taste, I really actually like the new MGMT album. Oh. And I like older MGMT more. They're much poppier and catchier. But I really respect their full frontal F.U. mission to make the least commercial music possible now. And it kind of works. And it's catchier than it seems upon first listen. Give it a while. It's pretty solid. I feel like people my age are supposed to like MGMT, and I fall into that. Obviously, everyone's waiting for my review of the recent uh, Midnight Memories released by One Direction, which is an absurd <laughs> 18 tracks long.
1: Is it really called Midnight Memories?
0: Midnight Memories. That's which,
1: what the album is called?
0: Yeah, that's the title track. It's like track four, I want to say. That's so sad. Four. Midnight Memories. Yeah, it's not great. It, it just, it feel like they really screwed up the formula, and they're trying to be musicianly in this way i don't get they have this new like ambitious single called the story of my life which has like drums and like violins and is trying to sound all mumford and son's luminary or something and i just don't get it just be yourselves don't try to put lipstick on the pig cause the pig is awesome seriously like what you did before making brainless lowest common on your pop that's what the world needs from you no one's buying this shit
1: you be you one direction
0: and I found some really upsetting comments on the video for this too. Watching the video for Story of My Life, which also didn't make a whole lot of sense. And there are these people saying, just like I assume like young girls who are saying like I'm a huge directioner, and I gotta say like people before would say their music like wasn't very good and used that to knock them. And I kind of always agreed their music wasn't very good, but now they're actually making really good music, you guys. So you should like them. No one can ever say they're bad again. What? Who is a fan of them and defending them and secretly thinking, yeah, their music isn't really all that good? Who does that?
1: Directioners. Directioners are.
0: Have some self-respect Directioners. I was I was lost. I'm going to need to have a conference call with the... Uh...
1: Can I ask you where you were reading these comments? Because I'm worried that you're reading One Direction comments.
0: These are on, on YouTube, on the YouTube comments. Oh, that on they're...
1: the YouTube. Okay.
0: No, I'm not like a member of like, I don't even know what it'd be called, like directionland.com or something. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that FBI would be. Disappointing.
1: Have. Yeah, that's got to be a weird place where yeah. people go there's,
0: there's a the one direction internet is very strange very very strange i only know a very small part of it my recommendation for that would be also this year we agree on this courtney mm-hmm. the house band of ncr vampire weekend put out a pretty good album this year they yeah, did they it did by that it was a consensus pick for us I
1: think. exactly that i think is the one we agreed on and probably the tegan and sarah album we agreed on
0: and that was solid too
1: that was solid and it came out this year i believe yeah in january right but yeah no i mean it's it was kind of a weird music year because i didn't really love a lot, anything that came out that was like popular that was good but there was like a lot of like really cool kind of like quiet releases that were good i think i've tweeted about it before but like the julie ruin album album which is kathleen hannah's new band kathleen hannah bikini kill anyways it's called run fast it's like really really good and fun and kind of punky but in a poppy like fun way anyways i love that album and i was listening to it all year long so i highly recommend that one yeah vampire weekend was good yeah yeah it's put out a good album mosquito but yeah it was okay i mean it was okay an okay music here give a couple more
0: recommendations it's just pure pop stuff that came out that i was listening to <laughs> on the european swing the fall part i really like i pop for a long time they're like the one band in the world that i was like ahead of the curve with i knew about them for like two three years because i'm pretty up on my you're
1: so cool then you're so i just cool. so cool
0: I never said that about anybody, but like them, <laughs> I was ahead of. They've changed. They've gotten much uh, more mainstream, dancey sounding, and kind of sold out a little bit sound wise. But I totally respect that because you know, go make your money, whatever. Go make your money. Go make your money. Lord, I like she was our outro last week. People were paying attention, and then my biggest surprise was the Miley Cyrus album, oh, which I no. kind of, which I kind of just like thought <laughs> as a joke. But some of the lyrics in it are speak to you. Unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable. There's this one song. That's like um, that's called F U. That has like it's sort of text themed and it about a cell phone inspired breakup, using like cool kids speak. That clue was written by someone who's like fifty years old. I'm gonna read you some of the lyrics. It goes, I don't really have much to say. I was over it the second that I saw her name. I got two oo oo letters for you. One of them's F and the other one's U. Because what you gotta do is go get yourself a clue only two ooh ooh letters to choose one of them's f and the other one's u smh i'm pressing send on you there you go miley cyrus the album is bangers and you can just buy it because it's a great track great track
1: i my favorite thing whenever you get really excited like genuinely love something and you try to proselytize it totally sounds like you're like not proselytizing like you're really making fun of it and hating it but you're genuinely not
0: okay this one <laughs> this one there's a more mockery than usual in my tone <laughs> this, this song is ridiculous i, I <laughs> grant that but i think it's impressively so and you know it's so bad it's good lyrically that's what i think about this one i don't i never felt the way about like old school like i don't know one direction that was legitimately fun music
1: fair okay
0: okay let's some smarter do you have any books courtney you read transition from one Oh gosh tennis books you read any tennis books you read that michael yeah. shaw thing
1: yeah i did I, I did finish the michael mishaw book short circuit yeah no i thought it was really really interesting and actually i do recommend that book uh to many people everyone yeah who just is interested in kind of knowing i think kind of the origins of tennis as an industry and as an organized professional sport, because I think that if you realize kind of how cowboy and completely corrupt the sport was like back in like kind of the 70s and 80s and 60s, just when everything was kind of coming together, you would understand I mean, that that's kind of the foundation upon which this sport is kind of built. And it kind of explains why there are certain things that are allowed kind of politically and organizationally in this sport that would never be allowed in any other sport.
0: Right, the foundation has cracks in it,
1: yeah. Yeah, and, and they've just been sealed over, but the, the cracks are all still there. So it's re- it was really interesting, and it was basically an AP reporter who followed the tour for a year um, and reported on it, as he as a true reporter would. And it's, you know, there's a lot of kind of shocking revelations, and there are things where I've, I've definitely asked, like, some of the older tennis reporters, like, hey, have you read this? Do you know if this is true, or is this kind of, you know, things like that? And for the most part, I've, I've kind of heard generally that it was all pretty much true so so it's definitely worth reading so that would be my tennis recommendation of the year
0: my tennis recommendation would be the sort of classic book um a handful of summers which i just read recently it's by gordon forbes who's a south african player in the pre-open era playing wimbledon and the u.s national championships as they were called back then and traveling around europe and it's really more of a memoir than a tennis book it talks about you know him and his like love life at the time as well too but it's all very Poetically written stuff, and actually, the end of the book is the beginning of the open era, and you see what a big difference that made. And you, and it very much romanticizes this whole time for it was just money in the sport, and all the characters are well developed and stuff. And it's just a nice, nice read. Makes you want nice. to. Nice sit and watch tennis so I'm, I'm sure people have heard of that book is pretty famous but I'll add my two cents saying that it's uh worth people's time
1: yeah I mean I definitely think that it's I, and that's something that's kind of because typically when I was reading tennis books like the last few years it was more just like reading books about like players or a time that I was aware of already Like, you know, like I would read the Venus book or the Serena books or Open or the Sampras books or, you know, whatever. But it was like players and matches and things that I was already familiar with. So I've been kind of trying to go back a little bit more and and reading, you know, kind of older stuff to just, yeah, just right around the time when the Open Era began and and the ATP was founded and and kind of just, I don't know. It's like the Wild Wild West in a lot of ways. It was very interesting.
0: One uh, more book recommendation I'll give, another tennis book. Is for the Academy Colin Game On, <laughs> and James LaRosa, which I just think is amazing. It's really the combination of literature and the One Direction era. It's very much like teen lit and a lot of oh no she didn't and stuff, and it's uh it's a lot of fun. You'll read it very quickly and you'll enjoy it.
1: It's basically a book that you would read and be like, Yes, James LaRosa totally wrote this. Yes. Like it is it's just it's got his fingerprints all over it, which is an awesome, awesome thing
0: are good fingerprints to have
1: they're very good fingerprints to have
0: so we will i guess leave our final smudgy fingerprints on this episode with that thank you all for following along with your fingers and whatever else if you want to keep following us we are at your fingertips in all sorts of different ways you can follow us on twitter at ncr underscore tennis you can also like us and follow us on facebook and get some updates and content there facebook.com slash ncr podcast and also you can subscribe to us on itunes and Get your episodes automatically delivered there and leave reviews and tell your friends and all sorts of good stuff. That's about it for us. We will be with you soon again in the off season. Have a very happy turkey hangover, everyone, and enjoy your Christmas shopping, etc., and your off season. Bye, guys. Later. Then I accidentally saw a few things in your cell. I even LOL. Man, I should have known. Why, why? What you do, you you might as well to tell the honest truth. See, uh, I'm not really down with this. to say no text and shit. No, I got no biz, but it is what it is. I don't really